listening to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. I am joined with, I would say, sometimes co-host, but on the podcast a lot these days. <laughs> We're not quite yet at the Chris and Dave Show, but Chris <laughs> Yang. Um, and we have uh, got a mailbag podcast for you guys today. I hope that everyone is staying safe and sound and wearing masks and continuing to stay in quarantine. And even if you're young and you don't give a shit about it, just remind yourselves that you can get someone that is immune compromised or you're someone older, very ill. So we're in this together and uh, crazy days get crazier and crazier. <laughs> yeah, things are things are getting crazy and no exception is our Ask Dave. By the way, yeah. before we start, I watched Hamilton. Did you watch Hamilton? I, I I saw it before, and I watched it on TV. What what was your takeaway? Wait, 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 wait. When did you see it? I saw it on a San Francisco run out here. I saw, like, the B-Squad version of it. Wow. Um, you just crushed a potential <laughs> listener that was part of that cast. I, uh, let's take that back again. I saw it here in San Francisco with what I feel was the better cast <laughs> uh, of actors. And, um, yeah. Did you, you just watch it on Disney Plus the other day? Yes. I mean, it's funny that we have a mutual friend who is actually an investor in Hamilton and he got me tickets. Like they were, I now know, right in front of some very, very (laughs) A-listers. And this is 2016, 2017. And I, for the life of me, know certain things about the world, like sports and things in culture. But there are other things I have no fucking idea what was going on. (laughs) And I remember telling him, like, no, I can't make it. He's like, you sure? And he's like, I'll give them to my wife. And my wife went, and she's like, you serious? You got Hamilton tickets? And then when she came back, she's like, you understand the seats you got? And I'm like, so it's a Broadway? What What? what, what could it be? Why? What? Whatever. Whatever. It yeah. can't be that unbelievable. Uh-huh. And then I was dead wrong because... It won a Pulitzer, won 11 Tonys. And- <laughs> you were like uh, Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump, who's like, I, I don't want, I'm going to invest in this Apple computing company here, whatever this yeah. thing is. And I, I, just, I just wanted to say, like, I can miss some very, very obvious things. And this was one of them. And it's been um, something that I've always wanted to watch now because I've never had the opportunity ever again to watch Hamilton. My hesitation on Hamilton was it's all rap. Like it's all spoken in lyrical rap. Like how am I ever going to understand anything? This is Mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. And I had to put it in subtitles. Yeah. You and my mom. Right. (laughs) And then originally I was like, oh, whatever. Total bro. Dave sucks. (laughs) Sucks. Uh Uh History lesson. I could just Google this. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) And then I forced myself to watch it. And then you could see in my mind's eye, you could see all versions of Dave Chang <laughs> to present day. <laughs> From terrible student Dave Chang as a kid, being like, oh, this sucks. To stupid bro, college Dave Chang, like, oh, just someone give me the paper so I don't have to do any of this work. <laughs> to by the end of it, like the second half, I was like, shit, I got to watch the first part again because I didn't pay attention at all. <laughs> That's literally what we have been going through. Like the, the the new sort of like childlike wonderment, Dave Chang discovering all of this stuff. It's like, 
shit, I got to go back and read my college history books again. I got to read all this stuff again that I missed. Yeah. And here it's just you got to watch the beginning of Hamilton. So I mean, so give me your overall assessment. Up, thumbs up, thumbs down. What what, what was your 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 Hamilton hot take? I understand why it changed the game. Yeah, because um, not just the choreography and the beautiful performances by all of them. Like I, I was like. <laughs> The Skyler sisters, all right, the, the three daughters, when they were singing, I go to Grace, like, they're so good. <laughs> hey, Nitwit, they're Broadway stars. Of course they're good. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, can you believe that? <laughs> they're so good at singing and performing oh on stage. Oh my God. And I know, I mean, once I uttered those words the, into the ether, I was like, oh, I'm just going to get demolished. <laughs> Rightfully so. So, yes. Uh, newsflash <laughs> Hamilton on Disney Plus if you haven't heard it before it is outstanding it's a little off-Broadway musical uh, Dave <laughs> up and, and covered by this guy it. named Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> he's a Wesleyan grad and uh, I think you're going to hear big things about him coming soon <laughs> not coming soon to the Dave Chang show is the uh, theater reviews from, from Dave, and, Dave and Chris here um, so let's get into some mailbag questions here Chang so let's start with a question from Felix. Felix, who writes to uh, AskDave at MajorDomoMedia.com. It seems that every new oven includes a convection oven option. What's the point? Why do you need it? And when do you use it? And uh, I got to ask the same question, Dave. I, I've never really fully understood the convection option on my oven. Are you serious? Kind of, yeah. I don't I mean, really Why wouldn't it. you want it? It distributes the air more evenly. Do you always have it on whenever you use the oven, the convection? Depends on what I'm cooking. If I don't want something like blowing away in the oven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like uh, if I want just stagnant heat, yeah. But I, I th there are some things that you don't want air circulating and you can turn it off, but you don't need it. But I will say that if you want something cooked a little bit more evenly, it's a good thing to have and... Um, I don't have one now, the oven that I have, but I wonder what the breakdown would be for ovens that have convection versus don't have convection at home. Yeah, I've always had it. My understanding was that the, the air circulation also helps with browning, right? You, you need yeah. to, like, to, to dry things out more and dry heat, but, uh, you know. Let's just say if you didn't have convection or air circulating, then an air fryer wouldn't just be fryer. Interesting. Is, right. is, is now the time to uh, talk to about reveal, air fryer to reveal yeah, your, your we, we, conversion? We'll, we'll get right in. We'll get right into that too, Felix. But um, you know, this quarantine has been me really looking at a lot of things in different perspectives, and one of which is certainly the air fryer. And I think it's a maybe a a good metaphor for a lot of things in my life right now. But so you know, it, I, I haven't done Instapot, and I haven't been that active on it because obviously doesn't seem right right now and we will and get back to doing some reviews but one of the reviews that i did early on i made disparaging comments about the air fryer because it was in the house that we had and i was missing the sort of the grill that accompanied it but i i used it a lot i used it a lot because after i i trashed it a lot of people made some comments saying i love it and not just a lot i would say a good portion of people that I've never met them, 
But for anyone to say, I love it, means they're not saying, you know, like they're not just throwing that shit out there. Mm-hmm. And this is something where I, I started to channel Roberta Smith, the better half of Jerry Saltz, our critic of the New York Times. And, and, and Jerry said pretty much the same thing too, but Roberta in our podcast, and if you haven't listened to that, it's one of my favorite ones uh, that we've done. You want to look at a piece of art and try to see why someone else might like it. Hmm. And I really spent time trying to imagine this air fryer is a big thing, right? Like, you know, I got sent a bunch of stuff and I have a bunch of stuff to review. The Instapot has an air fryer attachment. Ninja has an air fryer. Like everyone has an air fryer basically out there. So I was like, well, the data has got to be pretty compelling. So that's it. And, you know, much like my Hamilton ignorance, (laughs) I can take a position. And my position was that of hoity-toity fancy chef saying, this is for stupid amateurs. I didn't say that, but that's certainly what I implied. And I called it the the hairdryer oven, which it sort of is the technology of a hairdryer. And it's something that's been around a long time. And this is crazy again, but this is how I think. I just keep on going back over and over and over opinions that I've said as a reminder of whether I was right or wrong or was there a growth. And the one comment I got was, if you have kids, you're going to use the air fryer. And I want to get ready for all things Hugo. I mean, we're going to probably talk about this on a dad's podcast, but this added with the fact uh, where we were staying, I didn't really go eat French fries and I wanted to get French fries and I didn't want to like triple fry it. So I I was buying frozen French fries. And by the way, frozen French fry technology from the supermarket is fucking outstanding. (laughs) Like every kind is unreal. Like it is like the pinnacle of food technology is frozen French fries. (laughs) And of course I bought some chicken nuggets and I bought all these things. And the first time I bought it was at a gas station and I bought it. And then I came home being like, I'm just going to put it in the air fryer. And it worked out great. It really did. It was better than the oven. And then I was like, wait, I am cooking for seven people. What if I was just cooking for two people? Mm. What if I was just cooking for a child? What Mm. if I don't have an oven? I don't have a convection oven. What if... I don't have the means or the privilege to have a fancy kitchen that I don't need an air fryer. What if I live in a, uh, I have a Murphy bed and the kitchen is like a tiny thing that I have to pull out. And I started to really go down this rabbit hole of all the different people that would actually need an air fryer. And it's also pretty energy efficient because it gets hot really fast. And I was like, huh, I'm going to try to cook different things in this. And I'll be honest, is it amazing? No, I think it really does reheat frozen fried foods unbelievably well. I did buy fast food once. I I bought McDonald's. I bought McDonald's French fries. Mm. And there's nothing worse than cold fast food French fries. Would you agree, Chris? Yeah, 100%. So I did something crazy. I froze them. I froze McDonald's French fries. What was the, what's the logic there on freezing them instead of just... Letting them sit in the fridge? Yeah. Well, I, I, again, like, 
I love frozen foods and frozen food technology is a really amazing thing. And I'm not joking that if you buy any of the brands of frozen French fries, whether they're the thin steak, the thin matchsticks or the crinkle cut or whatever, or tater tots, there's a lot of work that went into making them because the fact that you can get them crunchy and yes, they were fried at one point. Um, but also like the freezing them is this. I bought McDonald's. I bought chicken nuggets. I bought a, one of those like giant, I think it was like 50, 50 of them because hot chicken nuggets are fucking unbelievably good. And I, I was, I think inspired by our Wiley podcast. Cause I was like, should I put a slab of butter on this? <laughs> yeah. But there's, but like, once you eat the French fries, like you don't want to eat it again the next day. Mm-hmm. And you have these French fries and I bought extra French fries because it was our first time eating fast food in months. Mm-hmm. And we just went to town and I probably had three large, extra large fries and I put them in a bag and I'm like, I'm not going to eat these tomorrow because we're like, the last thing you want to do is eat that food again the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, I put them in a bag and I froze them. And then about a week later, I made a uh, filet fish with uh, frozen fish battered things from the supermarket, tartar sauce, chiffonade of iceberg lettuce on potato rolls with a slice of American cheese. And I swear to God, everyone in my house said, did you get this from McDonald's? I said, no, (laughs) I cooked it in an air fryer. It was outrageously good. What else I cooked in the air fryer was half the bag of French fries from McDonald's. Two things happened. One is extraordinarily crispy and delicious, which I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Like you don't have to throw something away. You can actually bring them back to life. Second part was it was disgusting the amount of oil that was extracted (laughs) from those French fries into the like the divots in the air fryer. Uh Uh-huh. But like I, I really did spend a lot of time reheating and cooking and realizing that it is incredibly obnoxious for me to say it's stupid mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that say I, I love it. And it's the same thing where that kind of ignorance by me is saying Hamilton's stupid or saying kimchi's gross. And right. I'm really trying to equate that. And I spent a god-awful amount of time trying to imagine as many scenarios as possible as to why someone would say, I love the air fryer. And I don't know if I will use it in a variety of ways because I do have the option to cook in different ways. But if I'm in a pinch or if Hugo starts to only eat brown foods, which seems (laughs) to be any day now, I'm going to have an air fryer. Uh And that's, that's it. It's just like, I'm not saying I love it, I think that I understand why someone can love the air fryer. That's the longest conversation I think anyone's <laughs> ever had about the merits of an air fryer. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because you and I have had this conversation already. And I don't remember what we were talking about. We were on the phone or something. And you you did say it to me with like real gravity. You were like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you something, Chris. I gotta confess something to you. And I was like, oh no. Like, what what is what is Dave gonna tell me about? And you were like, fucking air fryer is pretty good. <laughs> and so like, I know you, you, you do take these things really seriously and, and, and I take you, everything seriously. <laughs> no, no kidding. Um, but yeah, there you have it. People by the, by the transitive property of Roberta Smith saying that you should look at everything like art and Dave saying that he applied that to the air fryer. I think that we can, we can say Dave Chang views the air fryer as a piece of art. Yeah. Uh, 
um, all right. So let's do a few more of these kind of cooking and, and equipment type of type of questions here. Uh, Derek from Seattle is asking if if baking bread was the activity of winter quarantine, what is the summer project going to be for all home cooks out there? Oof. I'll tell you, my bread baking has stopped. <laughs> what happened? I thought you you were explain to people again what your your stated goal of quarantine was. Mm. <laughs> Did I say this already? You said it, dude, and now you've got to you've got to you've got to own it. So I've only t- I've only told you. I've not told the world this. Have I? <laughs> you have told you've said it on this podcast what your goal was to some extent. But let, so let's I bought there. I was going to, I bought a fifty pound bag of flour of organic flour, and I said, I'm going to make bread every day. I actually made bread quite a bit. Wound up just becoming flatbread. But I got, you know, again, obnoxious, dumb Dave has to be contrarian for the (laughs) sake of being contrarian. Every single person is making sourdough and whooping out the tartine books or watching some YouTube video. And I was like, wow, those loaves are pretty fucking good. Like, everyone's like getting the hang of it. I was like, no. I want to. I want to feel like a real idiot that's making sourdough and start from not reading a single recipe, <laughs> <laughs> not doing one measurement <laughs> at all, and almost like figure out how to start fire from scratch. And I, through just total try and error, I literally refused. It was like not searching the internet to find like what happened at the end of a book or something. I just I was like, no, it's like the one, the one time I, st- I stayed dedicated to doing this in my life was sourdough. I'm not going to ask anyone how to do it properly. Obviously I've made it a handful of times, but it's already been like there with a starter. You know, it's like, it's so much easier in a restaurant. And have I done it in the past? Yes. Has it been amazing? No. Right. Like I sort of have an idea what I've done wrong. But to do it without any measurements and just eyeing it and like literally licking your finger and putting it in the air, <laughs> I was going to get by the end of quarantine, whenever it might be, like supreme sourdough master. Uh, yeah. And where are we in your journey now? I bought a giant bag of yeast. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no more about, feeding that about, star, a, right? about Eight or nine weeks in, I, I was just like, I, I, I cannot waste flour anymore. This is so absurd. And I'm not going to force myself to eat like this anymore. I can't. I just felt so bad about myself. And still standing stubborn as hell, refused to actually follow a recipe. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to cheat the, the modern way. And I got super, super active dry yeast. And uh, I wound up making a lot of bread over the quarantine. And we are now uh, back in Los Angeles with my family. And I was like joking. I was like, I don't know if we ever have to cook ever again. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. I'm so happy to be back. So, so happy. I know you've ventured out and and gotten some takeout finally after all these many, many months. You want to tell people what? What you did? I woke up at seven in the morning and went to Ken King Food Court. Yeah. And I was the first person there. Yeah. And I spent an ungodly amount of money. <laughs> and I, I'll tell you exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to singe my tongue on the hot oil in the dumpling. 
Not the Shenzhen bao. Like if they, you just buy the regular pork dumpling mm-hmm. on the northern Chinese part of this menu, it is the juiciest. It is like a, a gusher of of pain. Fuck. And man, whoo! God damn. And then to, to to give it to my in laws for the first time, it was like a beautiful thing. God damn. Uh, yesterday for lunch. We had Guisado's tacos. Oh, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. I'm and, so jealous. Uh, and uh, again, I was like, this is my first taco in almost five months. And then to share it with my in-laws that have never had anything like this was a beautiful thing. That's so amazing. We, we, have, we have cooked a lot. But I think the next project, if it's not going to be bread, is how do you incorporate like fresh vegetables, you know, that's not just a salad, mm-hmm. right? And I'm already having that problem right now. Because, by the way, shout out to the um, Santa Monica Farmer's Market. Because if the world at large followed their protocol, we've been a much better place. Yeah, it's pretty tight there. It's pretty... Dude, it's crazy. You cannot get in unless someone leaves. That's amazing. We waited almost an hour to get in. And we got there when it, like, uh, 15 minutes after it opened. Wow. So I, I have all this fucking produce... And I'm like, I've gone from not having anything to now having too much. And now it's like, I have the answer to this question. It's, will I put in the effort to pickle everything? <laughs> Are we going to see some Dave Chang pickling and, and jarring and canning? You yes. think we're actually going to see that? You know, the funny thing is we were making kimchi because we had to. Now, you know, going to these Asian markets, I just, it's just been a godsend. <laughs> Not having to make kimchi at home, God bless. It's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so there, there you have it, Derek. It's going to be some pickling. No jam making, Chang. Any fruit? I'm stuff not for a you? jam. I'm not a jam eater. Other than like, I'll just go to get something at Squirrel, pick something up at Squirrel if I need to. God but... damn you! Just damn you! <laughs> you know what, like, dude? Like, you know bullshit. what? I'm not like. Mm, I need that. Uh, I need that jar of Smuckers. <laughs> this is bullshit. I liked. I liked. You know what? I liked. Stuck in the boonies didn't have any ingredients, Dave, way better. <laughs> like that that was somebody I could get behind. This version of Dave who has access to things. I, I I don't know if I'm still a fan here. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of the Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're an employer, you're probably experiencing hiring challenges from time to time. But right now, you face even more challenges, from rethinking your workplace safety to hiring employees for specialized roles. Matson Resources could relate. They needed to hire a seasoned senior Citrix administrator to provide IT support. Not an easy job to fill. So they turned to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And that's how Matson Resources found Peter Alcantar Jr., Peter was laid off during COVID-19 and needed to find another IT job quickly to continue paying his mortgage and bills. He posted his resume on ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter identified him as a great match for the role at Matson Resources, and they interviewed and hired Peter in less than three weeks. ZipRecruiter helped Peter find the right job, and they helped Matson find the right person for a hard-to-fill role fast. See how ZipRecruiter can help you hire. Try it now for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. Today's show is also brought to you by Mack Weldon. 
Mack Weldon makes the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. Their mission is to make sure that all your basics and beyond are smartly designed with premium fabrics and shopping for them is easy and convenient. I love the underwear. I love the shirts. I love the socks, the sweatpants. Basically, this is my work outfit because I never get out of Mack Weldon at all. And it's a total joy because it's so comfortable. Mack Weldon even offers a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. All Mack Weldon products are great for working out, going to work, going on dates, and just everyday life, which is my expertise at home. The folks at Mack Weldon have even created their own totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. Level one gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two by spending $200, Mack Weldon will start giving you 20% off every order for the next year. That's a great deal. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. That's one word, MacWeldon.com, and enter promo code Chang, C-H-A-N-G. That's MacWeldon.com and promo code Chang for 20% off your first order. Okay, do you want to hear a question about uh, that's that's accusing you of something on your Instagram cooking videos? Or do you want yes. to hear... Okay. Yes, let's hear that. <laughs> All right, so uh, Janet writes in, um, I've watched many of your Instagram videos during pandemic isolation. Thank you for the entertainment. But twice now, I've noticed you double dipping your tasting spoon. Mm. Is this the usual practice in a professional kitchen? Maybe I'm naive to expect clean, unlicked spoons and food. Uh, what do you hi, got Janet. there, Chang? Hi, hi Janet. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what do you have to say I hope for you're yourself? having a wonderful day. <laughs> No, I, I get a lot of those comments too, and I want to I want to say not nice things. <laughs> I will tell you, in a professional kitchen, it just doesn't happen. Like protocol changes completely. You have tasting spoons. You follow a HASA plan, and you are rigorous as all hell, right? That's just how it's done. At home, I don't have to be like that, so I'm not. And you know what? I don't want to do. Wash a spoon because there are no other spoons. Like, I, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to do it. I'm just refuse. Also, they're my family. <laughs> you know what I do with Hugo now? It's disgusting. Like today it happened. I gave him a piece of like pork soup or something and, and he didn't like it. And he's like, just comes out. But it was like a beautiful, nice piece of pork. I took it and I put it in my mouth. <laughs> and I, I finished eating it. <laughs> Yeah, man. That's more gross than double dipping, but I'm in a house. I'm quarantined with everybody, and this is just, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm sorry, what do you think about double dipping at home? I, you have to. I mean, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't have a Ben Marie with 85 tasting spoons. Like, I, first of all, I just don't, that's not how I, I, I view my family. I don't view my family as customers. You I know? do. No. <laughs> You know, like I, I feel like you've got to you've got to watch out for this stuff. And and you know, I, I do think I knew that it was going to get a little rise out of you. I, I do think it's silly to equate the way you're cooking at home with the way you are at restaurants. And you know, I, it reminds Janet, me. Actually of, 
Janet, if you want to, when, when we can, don't have the social distancing anymore, I would love <laughs> for me to cook a meal for you at my home or yours. And I promise I will double dip. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Lauren, who is a high school art educator and mom of a four-year-old in Toledo, Ohio, asks... What are your feelings about Food Network? Do you ever watch it? I was raised in high school by Alton and Bobby and can't help but feel nostalgic when I see them. I feel like the famous chefs they have on Food Network are never brought up by legitimate chefs, though. I think when Food Network started out, it was pretty cool, I'll be honest. Whether it was Emeril. Um, Emeril doesn't get enough credit for what he was able to do back then. Uh, Sarah Moulton... Like you even saw Padma Lakshmi had a passport around the world like TV shows. Like they they were taking a lot of chances. And then I think they realized what actually sells. Mm-hmm. And and that's selling to the lowest common denominator, which is mass amounts of uh people. What do people want to like watch? And it's not instructional how-to videos. Yes, they do have them, but they have the cooking channel now for a lot of those shows. And we now know this too, Chris, working on all the stuff for Major Domo Media. Competition shows, <laughs> ratings are just way, way more than yeah. anything else. So that's what I mean by mainstream popularity. And there's a variety of competition shows. So I will say this. It's the same thing I feel about Top Chef and a lot of these shows. The snob in me is like now, after all these years, like, oh, no, it's not PBS. It's not whatever, whatever. I don't watch it for the same reasons. Like I've said a lot of terrible things about Guy Fieri over the years, but guess what? He's done more for the color industry than anyone that I know of, including myself in the pandemic for raising money. Mm-hmm. I think you can separate the two is at the end of the day, are they making people happy? Are they increasing culinary knowledge? Are they teaching people how to be better cooks in a variety of ways? The answer is yes to all the above. Do I feel like, we can do it way better than them, 100%, right? And I just always feel that way, but I'm not going to be the old me and say, oh, it's it's for amateurs. Yeah, it is for amateurs, and people like it. So uh, I'm trying my best to appreciate those things. Do I watch it at all? No. I, I haven't watched the Food Network ever. I know a lot of people watch Chopped. People like it, and people watch Bobby Flay a lot. Do you watch the Food Network at all? I watched it a ton, maybe 20 years ago. Like, it was the only thing I watched. And, and like Lauren, who wrote in here, I, um, I grew up along with these personalities on the Food Network, and, and it really... I know a lot of people of my age uh, got into... You know, I was, I'm just going to tell you this, Dave, and I've never told you this before, but uh, when I was in college, I definitely sent in like a video submission for that next Food Network star... <laughs> show you could have been guy fieri (laughs) i know and i had the fucking frosted tips and everything so i yes i was a food network fan i have become a snob about it i don't watch it that much anymore but well i mean listen it is the benchmark we are making a lot of i mean that's one of the reasons i'm in la is so we can start to make and produce shows it's hard to talk crap about someone when that is sort of your barometer you're right so all all credit to them i think Truly, what is uh, what they did incredibly well was pivot quickly mm-hmm. 
and start to make content, lower quality, but content nonetheless, whether it was uh, Lee Drummond, Pioneer Women, or even getting Amy Schumer and her husband, who is a chef, that was a great idea. And they were very, very on top of it. So good for them. We're coming after you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start talking shit later. Uh, Ulysses Coronado writes, Hey, Dave, I was wondering, what makes a rice or noodle dish a breakfast dish and different from a lunch or dinner dish? I mean, why do you consider some rice dishes breakfast dishes? Coronado. Um, I don't know. You know, like, I will say this. Rice and noodle dishes seem to be way more of a breakfast thing outside of America and Europe. Whether you're in, uh, you know, Africa or Asia, eating rice and noodles seems to be a normal thing. And I even have to question myself when making food for Hugo in the morning. Now I'm adding rice to his uh, scrambled eggs, right? And I'm like, is this weird? And I'm like, I have to ask myself, no, it's not fucking weird. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. <laughs> for example, Grace's parents like sweet things sometimes for breakfast. Grace doesn't like sweet things for breakfast, mm-hmm. right? So that's always a difficult thing about what to make them. So I don't know, man. I just would like people to be able to cook whatever they want. If they want to eat ice cream for breakfast, eat ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like these sort of uh, antiquated notions of what and how we're supposed to do things are based on sometimes stupid cultural thing. So, I mean, you know what makes, you know what makes fried rice a breakfast dish, Dave, is the fact that you and I have eaten it throughout our lives for breakfast. <laughs> and the, what makes it a lunch or dinner dish for other people is that they ate it for lunch or dinner. You know, it's all context. And I think what you want is to remove some of the, like kind of take a lot of these dishes out of context that have sort of pigeonholed them, right? Pigeonholed food into certain moments when you eat it, certain price points that you'll pay for it or whatever it is. Um, that to me is the only difference. Are you not supposed to eat pizza in the morning? <laughs> I think some people would say yes, but uh, have you have you eaten pizza in the morning? I've eaten pizza in the morning. I've eaten pizza late at night. I've eaten pizza any old time, just like fried rice. Yeah, I'm all down about breakfast. I, the one thing I think we need to do, what I'd like to see more of, are breakfast noodles. Like I agree that that is just. I mean, listen, it's as arbitrary as a bacon, egg, and cheese. If you really think about it. You know, if someone came from a culture that didn't know either of them, they're going to be, which one do you think they're going to think is more weird? Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, frankly, I'm living in a house right now with my in-laws who are not accustomed to eating fried rice or noodles or any of the things that I like to eat in the morning. I like to eat super savory things, rice porridges. And, you know, it's been interesting seeing at one point my mother-in-law said, oh, Chris doesn't really like to eat the breakfast foods we eat. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's not that I don't want to. I would just rather have a waffle at, at midnight. Yeah, I just can't do oatmeal no matter what my doctor tells me to do. I just can't. I can't. I'm really proud that my son also refuses oatmeal now, too. <laughs> um, let me ask you this, Shane. Can you do a savory? Oat? What if you cooked oats with chicken stock and then seasoned with fish sauce and cover? What if you made it like a rice porridge? Would that be good? Actually, I've done it. That can be done because you know how what we make with our, our rice now? Hmm. There's oatmeal in it. There's oats in our rice because hmm. there's this weird like um, measuring stick, I think, for your age in, in Korean culture, at least hmm. in what I think, right? Like like they always joke with your ajishi or ajima, 
Like you get older, you get, you're, you're, you basically start wearing those visors and gloves and everything when you go outside. For me, my barometer before I turn into that is the older you get, the more shit you put in your rice. <laughs> Beans, <laughs> grains, all this other stuff. When all I want to eat is white rice, now it's like six other things. <laughs> and one of those six things is always some kind of oatmeal or two types of oatmeal. So I've now made that into juke or a kanji in the morning, and it's effectively oatmeal rice porridge, and it's delicious. There you go. So I do it. I already do it. At a, at a certain age, you just start mixing statins right into your white rice, and uh, that's 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 what you get. Um, okay, so pivoting a little bit here, Zoe writes into askdave at majordomomedia.com. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. I own your books, both yours and the ones Peter was involved in. I'm on the Chili Crisp wait list. It felt good to hear you address the Peter Meehan situation on the podcast. Thank you for being honest and vulnerable and heartfelt, though, to be honest, it felt more of a radio signal out directly to the people involved. You didn't bother to explain yourself because I assume enough people inside already knew what happened. It's easy enough to ask you if you could go back questions. Instead, I want to ask, how do you want to handle yourself going forward? Especially for all the rising cooks branching out into other media they maybe aren't as built for yet. What have you learned from this? What can we learn from this? And maybe I'll just, I'll give a little context here, Dave. You know, I don't know if everybody listening knows that Dave and I and Peter Meehan started a magazine called Lucky Peach maybe 10 years ago. Uh, that's how Dave and I came to know each other. And, and recently there have been allegations about the way Peter ran the offices at Lucky Peach and then at the LA Times food section, which he was in charge of until recently. And, uh, you know, you can listen to Dave's reaction on this podcast, but um, I, I think that uh, Zoe's, Zoe's questions are, are interesting, you know, rather than rehashing the past, like what, what did you learn and, and, and what do you want to do moving forward? Um, you know, I, I said it then on the podcast, but the hardest thing is I have a, individually, I have a non-disparagement agreement with Peter Meehan. So for someone that wants to be as transparent and open, it's hard to be uh, muzzled and not because of anything other than I'm really tired of fighting and litigating. And it's just not something I can, even the prospect of it puts me in a very bad place. So that is unfortunately the one thing that I think a lot of people are asking. I think for moving forward, it's got to be holding me accountable and making sure that I'm growing and I am making sure that I am doing my best to create the most equitable working environments possible. And I think there's a lot of topics that need to be had. And I feel like what's, what's been hard about the Lucky Peach situation is that I'm certainly been known as a bully. I don't think known. I have been a bully. And there are times where I still am a bully in the kitchen. And I have a lot of regrets and that's a whole other conversation about the kitchen industry as a large. And I know that uh, we've written a book about it, that we coming out. And this is something that we're trying to address in a myriad of ways about really changing the whole structure of how people work. And I think there's a lot that 
has been done. There's a lot more that needs to be done, but a lot of things first start with me. And although I've put a lot of work into it to be better as a person, and I have a lot of mental issues um, that make it difficult. And all I want to do is fucking talk about it very, very openly. (laughs) And, um, but I, I will say that I have to do a better job in the idea and the phrase of being complicit is something that took me a long time to see because saying I didn't know while true isn't enough. And I put myself before anyone else. And that is something that I'm addressing. And I've always thought of myself as someone that was, and this is where I'm coming to terms with a lot of therapy is I can be selective in what I believe uh, Mm -hmm. that I am as a person and how I execute myself. And um, I think it's natural that I always, I don't always think of myself in in positive terms. It's the one time I try to think positively is I think of myself that, I don't think the word is ally, but someone that always tries to have the best interests of the people that are underrepresented. And a lot of reflection was, wait a second, when all this stuff came news, right? And I've known about some of the stuff recently, obviously talking to you and, and some of the other people like Peach, but at some point last week, because I've just been at this, tearing myself apart, looking at myself as to how I could have been a better ally, how I could have been a better example, my own flaws. And obviously this all led me to some clarity that, wait a second, what was it about me that prevented you or anyone else not to come to me? Mm -hmm. Were they scared because they know that I have a bad temper, that I've been known to, to yell, I've been well documented. Again, not an excuse, but I was like, fuck, right? Like that's when I went into a bad place because I realized the scope of what I had been responsible for. And in my mind, if I was operating my restaurants in the way that in my mind we wore, then it would have been very clear as to how things should have been at Lucky Peach. Mm -hmm. And it was an abject total failure on my end. I will say that I was not scared to talk to you about these things at Lucky Peach, but I had a lot of anxiety and nervousness around bringing them to you. And I don't feel that way now. And I think a lot of people, whether they're from Lucky Peach or Momofuku, if it's any sign of your growth, and I do want you to hear this, it's that anxiety to be honest with you and open with you and and tell you whether it's a criticism, a critique, a thing that where you're falling short or somebody around you is falling short. I don't feel any fear or anxiety around talking to you about that now. And I don't think that's just because you and I have gotten more comfortable with each other. I think it's because you have sent that signal out very purposefully to all of us, to everyone at Momofuku, to everyone at Major Domo Media, that you will hear these things from us. And, and so... I don't want to retry the past. I don't want to do any of that stuff right now. You and I have done all of that in private. Um, but if it makes you complicit in, in, in that way, I, I was nervous to say things to you in the past. If it's a sign of growth now, I don't feel that way at all. Well, thanks, Chris. And I'm, uh, 
I've been beating the shit out of myself. I know you have. And um, it's been really, it's been a lot this, this quarantine. And I've realized a lot of different things. I'm learning a lot of different things. And um, a lot of images of myself have been totally shattered. And I'm, I got to build them back up and I have to make sure that uh, it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, Chang, I, I, I know how hard this is for you to talk about this, not least of all because you're still processing it. You're still f- figuring this out. And, and, and as I said, this was a really hard time for you as well. And, and I know that the audience, I hope the audience appreciates that these are not fully formed thoughts. Dave and I have not scripted this out. Dave is laying himself out there in front of everybody. And, and Dave, I wanted to say that you're not alone. A lot of people have been writing into the Ask Dave at Major Domo Media account with, frankly, some really emotional stuff. Uh, people have been sending in their, their notes about grappling with their own fathers and losing their fathers, You know, having listened to you talk about your own experiences. People are talking about having hard conversations with their family members about Black Lives Matter, not just Asian families, but lots of families, second generation families, inspired by what we've been trying to convey here on the show. Um, a lot of restaurant owners are writing in with you know, both kind of inspiring and, and heart-wrenching stories about how difficult COVID has been on their businesses. Um, and I just wanted to thank everybody for writing in with such sort of passion to an account that, you know, you don't know if it's going to be checked or not. But I, and I, I wanted to say that we are, we are seeing all of them, even if they were not asked, we're not reading your question on the air here. We're reading all of these emails. I'm reading them. I'm forwarding them to Dave. We see you and, and, and we hear you for sure. Yes. I can't tell you enough. Thank you for taking the time to write these questions in and, uh, you know, we're all trying to get better and grow. Well, that's it for this podcast episode of Mailbag. Um, there were some fun questions, some serious questions, but I think they're always good to do. And I don't know, we should do more of them instead of quarterly, but uh, stay tuned this week for another podcast. Give us five stars, however you rate this. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Wear masks. <laughs>